Welcome to Grantmaker Coffee Talks, a podcast for grantmakers to learn from their peers about grantmaking. I'm Logan Colgrove, and in this episode, you'll hear from funders across North America talking about their response to the COVID-19 crisis. This show is brought to you by Foundant Technologies, and we've been hosting educational webinars and coffee talks online for years, but we wanted to create this podcast when we saw a spike in our attendance. We actually had 500 funders on our last Coffee Talk webinar exchanging ideas about how best to respond to the COVID-19 crisis, and honestly, it just seemed like too good of a conversation not to share. So today we're going to listen in on that discussion that was recorded on March 18th, and we'll start things off by introducing the person who led the conversation, Elise Brayton. And Elise is actually on the line right now, joining us via a Zoom call. So hello, Elise. Hello, Logan. So you moderated this webinar. Can you tell us a little bit about what we're going to hear? Absolutely. This conversation was just lightning in a bottle. There were so many great questions and ideas brought up by funders all over North America. And I was really struck by how much everybody joining this particular conversation just wanted to make a difference. It was a really special thing to be a part of, and I'm excited to be sharing it with everybody. Terrific. Okay, let's join the conversation. The first voice we are going to hear is yours, Elise, followed by Stephanie Gala from the Cheris Foundation. So Stephanie, we are on the topic of change. What changes are you rolling out and what changes are you considering? Um, as well as any a question you might want to post to the group. So what uh, can you tell us a little bit about it, first your organization? What organization are you with? And then what you are currently planning? Yeah, so I'm with the Cheris Foundation um, just outside of Toronto, Ontario, here in Canada. And um, we are really just beginning to have discussions about what kind of implications this will have in our granting year. So we definitely are considering using this as an opportunity to try and grant more in this season of crisis. Um, but we, I'm, I'm really on this call to kind of hear what changes others are, are considering. Um, are people setting up an emergency fund? Um, are you changing your grants to undesignated to support salaries um, and that kind of thing? So um, work, everything is on the table right now, I'd say for us. That's really good to know. Um, and I think this conversation hopefully is going to give you some ideas on, on where you might be able to move on with that and give you some places to make some headway. Um, who else do we have on the line? This is Shalette Henderson. I'm calling from the Black Belt Community Foundation out of Selma, Alabama. We serve uh, the Black Belt counties in Alabama. And the question is, what we're currently rolling out, we're remotely working from home right now. <laughs> but that may not be the answer and to your question, but that's the way we have to work right now. Absolutely. So uh, are there Go specific challenges to that when it comes to planning further responses as a group? We don't know. We, we can't foresee everything at this point, but Zoom seems to be working uh, and calling is working. So I think that we will be okay in our job application. It has stopped my site visits, but I will schedule them for out in April. And it may, I don't know how it will affect our grant 
application time period. I'm not sure yet. It has to work out according to how COV ID 19 works. Yeah, yeah, I think we're all in that time of uncertainty right now, not quite sure how it's gonna roll out. Uh, one question I would pose to the group, and you know, as folks have their hand raised, we'd love to hear more about it, is you, know, you mentioned site visits. Uh, how are you still doing site visits? One of the responses that we have heard from some grant makers is that they are going to uh, no longer require site visits and no longer require reporting as a way to reduce the overhead on some of their current grants. So something to think about. Um, I'd be curious to know if anybody has experience in that. I know that was a strategy that was taken on in 2008 um, after that economic downturn. So let's, uh, let's keep moving. Let's move on to another panelist. I'm from the Albert Pick Fund. And you know, like a lot of organizations, this kind of came to us really fast. Um, I'm in Chicago and we're an urban uh, community, we're an urban private foundation. And all of our funding is within the city of Chicago because you, so you can imagine, um, you know, being a big city, the city has really, uh, the foundation community has actually responded pretty quickly. In Chicago, we have, uh, there has been a community fund response emergency fund that has been uh, put together by United Way of Metropolitan Chicago and the our, our uh, Chicago Community Trust. And they are getting different foundations throughout the region to commit to a certain amount of money into the fund. They're also asking community members to don't make donations into the fund. They don't quite know how that fund is going to be released. Um, there's interest to getting some broad scale social service organizations um, larger grants that we know that they'll be uh, that organizations will re be relying on for us smaller organizations we're still sort of uncertain on how we're gonna um, how we're gonna change our funding in particular but across the board it sounds like foundations in Chicago are really committed to changing dollars from restricted to unrestricted or general operating grants I think that is universal throughout foundations. I, I know there's also, as you said, reduction in reporting. Um, for us uh, individually as a foundation, I think we're, we're all we're committed to following sort of that direction. We've also made a donation into the fund ourselves. Nothing's actually, I shouldn't say it's clear because we still have need board approval, but it just so happens that we have a board meeting next week. Um, so that's currently what's happening. You know, for us long term, we aren't quite sure how we're going to use the rest of our funding, but we're still committed to giving money out. I think um, we don't want to stop funding, um, but we also want to be really strategic about how we're funding things out for the next, for this cycle and future cycles. And we do four cycles a year. Yeah, I think that raises a really interesting point about, you know, funding for the immediate and funding for the future. Because when we look at these types of events that happen um, and I'm going to liken it to a like a hurricane or something like that um, regionally it is the immediate there's immediate need and then there's long-term need and I think that you know both are so important for us to be uh, aware of and thinking about so I love that you're already in that that mindset and it sounds like Chicago's doing a good job coordinating their their efforts there 
Another thing you mentioned that I'd be curious to know more about or more about from other folks is that you said you had happened to have a board meeting already scheduled coming up here really soon. Um, two things, is that gonna go virtual? Are you gonna be using an online meeting system to be able to do that? And two, for others who maybe weren't quite so lucky to have it timed, uh, are you pushing those board meetings up to make decisions on funding? Um, and the foundations, your different foundations uh, roles in this. So just some more food for thought. Let's go ahead and get our next, uh, next speaker in. I'm with East Tennessee Foundation and we are based in the city of Knoxville, but we serve a 25 county region that is the farthest away can be three and a half hours. Um, so we serve urban, suburban and rural. Um, and we just within the last couple of days activated our neighbor to neighbor disaster relief fund, which we created a couple years ago in response to some natural disasters. Um, and so the first thing we're doing with that is we're putting that prominently on our website if folks want to donate to help with that particular fund. But then we've also launched an application for organizations um, to submit. It's very short, very simple. Um, and we've actually had two submissions already. Um, this is still kind of moving, a lot of moving parts. So uh, we don't have decision-making criteria yet. Um, I think that's going to happen in the next couple of days. Um, so there's that field of interest fund that's never been competitive before. And I don't think it'll be competitive in this sense, but we're going to add that as an, a live application. And then we have a large field of interest fund that's specifically for arts in all 25 counties. And we actually just launched that on Friday and then pulled that back because we're going to restructure that um, and change the funding priorities to the number one priority to help arts organizations who might be deeply affected by the, the, the effects, the ramifications of having to cancel a lot of their big fundraisers. We have a lot of great arts partners in, in our region and already a lot of them have had to cancel popular, well-attended spring events and, and some are postponing and some are just canceling. So we're trying to restructure our big arts fund to support those organizations. Um, again, just like our first fund that I mentioned, we're still trying to iron out those ideas and, and see what that looks like. And then, um, you know, later in the year, we've got a lot of smaller field of interest funds that are so specific that I don't know, you know, given their very unique criteria if we can restructure those but I think across the board we as a staff are trying to figure out you know what we should or what we can restructure to support our partner organizations in the area and then on another kind of field of interest area we have a lot of affiliate funds that serve particular communities or counties or even just a city um, and we're working with them to see what their interest is in those advisory boards, what their interest is in maybe restructuring their funding priorities. Um, but I do appreciate the, the bringing up immediate versus long-term needs because I think we're, we're getting ready to launch stuff now, but I'm, I'm at the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, what do we need to do, you know, a couple months from now to be effective and helpful. So that's, that's what we're doing in East Tennessee. That is really great to know. Thank you for sharing that. That's, um, yeah, I feel like that was just a really comprehensive look at this from a couple of different 
viewpoints, you know, creating funds and getting money out the door and interaction with your grantees, um, kind of all in one. Thank you for that. I will say, you know, one of the um, risk areas that I had identified in prepping for this was those organizations that are having to cancel major fundraisers that really keep their doors open for the rest of the year. Um, there's a lot of strategies for nonprofits and how to handle those things. Um, and, and I think some are really, really interesting. So, uh, you know, we, there's lots of resources out there. We're going to work our best to connect you all with on those. Um, what other, anybody want to respond to anything that we have heard already or continue to share out what you're doing? I'm Jennifer Marino from the Pittsburgh Foundation um, and where I work as the uh, scholarship specialist. And so I have a question to see if there are any scholarship um, program administrators in the audience today. We have decided to extend due dates because our program closure is 331. So that's coming up in um, like 13 days. And this is a really busy season for um, communication with students, of course, who are trying to finish their applications. And, and we do get several thousand applicants. So I'm wondering, we're going to push our due date out um, to mid-April, April 15th for now. And then we are going to make some things um, that have always been required optional because I think the big concern is getting letters of reference to put into our application. And so we're going to make those optional and accept any um, submissions that don't have those present. I'm wondering if there's anyone else out there who's given some thought to this and kind of what they are changing uh, with their scholarship program right now. Jennifer, one thing that I know we are seeing here among all of our clients, uh, not all, but many of our clients, is also looking at the difficulty of getting transcripts. So if uh, schools are closing, that uh, also might be hard for a student to be able to, to get transcripts. So just one more thing to think about. My name's Heather. I'm calling with the American Savings Foundation. We're a private foundation in New Britain. Um, and we also have our scholarship deadline due on March 31st. Um, so what we decided to do is we kept the online application deadline as the 31st, figuring that the students are home, most of them have access to computers, to have them at least get that piece in on time. And then we extended the deadline until mid-April for their transcripts or letters of recommendation. Okay, so it's still asking students to get their part in on time, but giving extensions for those additional pieces that they don't have control over. Correct. And then also just kind of following on about what other people were saying, also on our grant making side, we are allowing yeah. um, organizations to use program grants or after school grants um, to help cover the cost of salaries if they have to close. Great. So transitioning those restricted dollars into unrestricted. And have you sent out, did you preemptively send out messaging to those grantees or did you wait for them to contact you to make that adjustment in their grant? Um, I would say it was 50-50. We started to receive some okay. calls and some questions and it kind of alerted us to the need in the community and then we were able to publicize that. Um, with our scholars, again, it was a similar thing. We started receiving some questions from applicants um, who were worried about the school closures, which then kind of prompted us to uh, notify the group as a whole. All right, great. 
Uh, this is Kimberly Costanzo. I'm from the Howard Gilman Foundation, and we're a funder of uh, nonprofit performing arts organizations based in New York City. Um, so our grantees are being hit particularly hard um, because so many of them depend upon ticket income for performances, um, and all performances have been canceled here in New York City. So um, first I would just say philosophically, this is for us a moment to double down um, and not to decrease our grant making, but we're hoping to be able to actually increase the money that we're able to get out the door. Um, a few of the immediate things we've done, um, we had grants uh, were just approved and we reached out to all of the organizations uh, who had just been awarded funds and we still send paper checks. So we asked them, is there an alternate address that you want us to send that check to, um, to encourage folks to work from home, which was really appreciated. Um, we purchased mm -hmm. over a hundred Zoom enterprise level licenses for our grantees and allowed them to sign up for accounts for free that would allow them to work remotely. Um, some of our grantees are hosting classes, are hosting performances, are using the Zoom platform in a lot of really creative ways. So that's been an exciting um, development. Uh, we've also cut our grant application for the current cycle. Um, it used to be a much longer application and right now we're asking for a budget, we're asking for an audit, and we're asking what is the impact of COVID-19 on your organization and that's it. Um, in addition, we're really prioritizing general operating support. That's always been the majority of our grant making, um, but we have in the email inviting organizations to submit their applications, um, made it very clear that we are uh, prioritizing giving organizations the same level of general operating support that they received last year. Um, if not more, we're hoping to be able to increase that, but we wanted to reassure organizations that they would at least get that same base level um, since so many funders um, you know, so many organizations are expecting uh, decreases in their grant uh, funding. Um, we are also allowing organizations to convert any project support grants to general operating support um, if needed. And we aren't requiring organizations to make refunds to us or anything like that for programs that were canceled. Um, so uh, especially in the case of project support for specific performances, we're allowing organizations to pay out their artists, to pay out their staffs, um, if they need to. And uh, I guess the last thing I would say, which is a little bit, you know, there's a short term, there have been a number of emergency funds that have popped up um, focusing on individual artists, and we're planning to contribute to some of those. Um, in New York City, the most recent survey said that um, artists, on average, uh, individual artists have about two to three weeks of living expenses as savings. Um, so what we're talking about with so many gigs being canceled is people's, you know, livelihoods being affected in a really profound way. So those are the short term funds we're contributing to and then longer term we're looking at capitalization efforts that would support our organizations um, in recovering from this and those will take a number of forms and will certainly sort of evolve as this crisis evolves um, but we're hoping to be able to partner with some other New York City arts funders on that so those are a few of the things that we've got going on right now. That is so awesome Kimberly that's such a great list I'm sitting here listening to you just thinking like wow this is a, an organization that is really thinking through all of the different steps here so thank you for sharing one of the things that you noted that I was wondering if was going to come up today was purchasing those zoom licenses for grantees and zoom is the platform that we use but any of those digital um, virtual workspace um, type licenses could be incredibly helpful to your grantees as they're still trying to, as in your case, put on performances and and do the work and, and be um, the, the piece of art in people's lives. 
but also for our other grantees that are in more of a social services uh, place, you know, having these types of, of uh, tools at their disposal is could be just a huge benefit to them right now. Um, most nonprofits are not, this isn't an area that they had spent funding in um, before. So it's probably fairly new. So that's just a really interesting and really cool way to be supporting them. Um, and I love your very shortened um, request for assistance, that budget audit and impact um, idea for those requests for additional funding. That's, that's great to keep it simple. So let's go ahead and take the next caller. Hi, I'm Ethan. I'm with uh, the foundation behind the Red Nose Day campaign. Um, and so basically all, Red Nose Day is supposed to be in April and May, um, which is our, you know, we raise 95% of our income for our organization during those two months um, by getting people to uh, buy noses at Walgreens and donate money over the register. Um, so we're looking at some challenges ahead um, in terms of our fundraising, which would affect our grant making um, and the whole idea of messaging right now around um, uh, around our issue, which is child poverty, which is obviously salient right and relevant right now, but trying to get um, our messaging across when they're, when everyone's focused on um, the immediate crisis is difficult. So we're, what we're doing is um, we are uh, for looking at our active grants and seeing about how we can unrestrict uh, portions of those funds. Um, and so I'd be interested to know if there's organizations that are just like how you balance kind of unrestricting all, um, just completely unrestricting your past grants or just unrestricting a certain percentage of those funds. Um, we have some emergency funds that we're looking to deploy right away. Um, and then the biggest question really is for, we have a active grant cycle um, based off of the income we raise from Red Nose Day. And so we, those grants aren't deployed until the fall, um, but we're not sure um, if we should pivot those grants to focus more on, um, on the fallout or recovery from, um, from this crisis, um, or if we should continue funding the programs that, we've, um, that, they, that they originally applied for, because you know, those programs are still gonna be necessary in the fall, even uh, hopefully when, when this is over. So um, those are kind of some of the things we're balancing um, right now. Um, and so just you know, be interested if there's other kind of public fundraising foundations out there that are um, trying, you know, to make these similar difficult decisions. Absolutely. Yeah, I think this is a great topic. Um, you know, I think this is where on our survey earlier, we had about 25% of our respondees say that they would be giving out less in 2020 um, than they had previously anticipated. And this is where that comes in. You know, if you're a fundraising foundation, then lack of being able to fundraise really does affect what can go out the door for you as well. So uh, very interested in hearing more about that. Um, please respond into that question box if you have a response for Ethan. And then also the other kind of piece I want to tease out here is I'm sure many of you are in current funding application cycles. So people 
started applying for a certain type of grant maybe three weeks ago and things have changed over the last three weeks. So um, how you are going to address those current applications that have been submitted for a funding cycle um, that now probably needs to be tweaked a little bit. If you have made some decisions on that, had, have had good board discussion over those things, we definitely want to hear about that. My name is Cadence. I'm with the Laird Norton Family Foundation, and we are in Seattle, Washington. So we have been um, affected by this um, in a very visceral way, I think, as everybody has, but maybe even a little bit earlier than most people. Um, uh, so we have been trying to internally figure out how we're going to pivot and be the best partners that we can for our um, grantees, some of which for us have been partners of ours for, I mean, a decade or more. Um, so as I put in the little chat box, um, and this is going to be echoing some of the ideas that Kimberly said that their foundation is doing as well, but we're going to be reassessing our grant making processes for the year. So we have um, currently five processes that normally happen throughout a calendar year. We have one um, that's out right now um, that we just received applications for um, and we'll be uh, encouraging our committees to review that application, those that application cycle with an equity lens and also kind of throw out all of the project specific um, requests that were there, like any grants that we would get from this cycle would be general operating expenses. Um, okay. We're trying to figure out That's how great to hear. we can also, um, for the future, um, processes that would normally we wouldn't be getting money out the door until maybe November of this year. Um, we're trying to figure out how we can accelerate those timelines internally, but not put the burden on our grantees or our partners. So, you know, for example, if there's organizations that we've supported for one or more years, can we just have phone conversations with them? Can we have a much uh, more simple application process? Can we just basically give them the money <laughs> right now to be able to try to support them earlier in the year to help them weather this time. Um, we are aiming to proactively cancel all of our in-person meetings. So our family foundation is quite the uh, constituents, the members of the family. There's a lot of them and we mm -hmm. have many in-person family meetings, uh, where, yeah. which costs some money. And so we're looking to move those all uh, virtually and then use the funds that we would have spent on that meeting on convening to invest in those communities that were no longer going um, to that organization, like in that community, we're not spending those dollars. So let's instead put it in rapid response funds. Um, that is such a great repurposing. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'm excited about like some of a lot of these ideas. I think that it's like sort of the least we can do um, as a family foundation um, are the family that we work with, they still hold a family company as well. And so we're very active in um, pooling our resources and encouraging that family company to step up as well and see what they impact they can make in the community. Um, and then what else are we doing? Uh, I think also when we're making our grant decisions and or who we're um, aiming to support, we're really looking to support um, organizations that are proactively stepping up and supporting their employees. So many people have mentioned arts organizations and that's one of our portfolio areas. And those, some of them have been very vocal about and continuing to employ their um, teaching artists. And I think that shows real leadership and that's expensive. <laughs> and so I feel like we need to uh, proactively support those organizations at this time. 
And I think that might be all of the things that we're like looking at now, but I've already taken notes from other suggestions. That's great. Yeah, that's exactly what um, this is here for is kind of give ideas, share ideas, you know, that combination. Um, so my name is Guinevere Crum and I'm from the Able Trust in Florida. We are a public charity and um, <clears throat> we are designated to support employment programs for people with disabilities. And so, of course, all of our grantees are heavily involved in placing people with disabilities into employment. And then, of course, um, a lot of employment opportunities have really, you know, come to a halt in this last week. So we're working with our grantees and surveying um, their needs and working also with, um, Florida has many um, disaster funding teams and these are really led by community foundations across the state. And so they have banded um, together over time in response to multiple different hurricanes to really respond to their communities. Because typically a hurricane will impact a community or a region quite heavily. And so what they are doing with that response teams are um, identifying needs in their area. So they have a lot of pre-created forms and materials that they use to survey all of their constituents. So it might be four or five funders coming together. It might be as many as 10 or 15 funders coming together. And over time, they have created these forms. And so they have, for the most part, um, triggered these teams to come together and start to release these forms. And it, we were on a call this morning talking about it. And they are using the pre-created forms, which are really weather related, but they're asking people to, to really respond with pandemic um, type of responses. But it's the first step to get it translated over to responding to a different type of um, disaster that we haven't encountered before. And what all of our community foundations do, are doing are connecting with grantees and regional needs. And then they come together and look at those um, responses that they're seeing and almost like a restaurant menu, different foundations are picking and choosing which um, community need that they're going to respond to. So there's a good um, response in a regional level. It's growing. Our grantees aren't necessarily connected to all of these um, regional opportunities, but we are working with those disaster funding teams to introduce them to our grantees and make that connection so that they have access to new funding in their regional area to, to meet the needs that are there. We are work, we're a public charity and so our funds are working closely with government officials to try to get some permission to have a little bit more latitude. And additionally, one other thing that we were talking about this morning is uh, wage mitigation and the need in different communities to really address that so that it, when people are asked to quarantine that they receive that wage mitigation so that they stay in quarantine and aren't trying to sneak mm -hmm. out and um, you know really earn the wage that they need in order to meet their needs of their family so wage right. mitigation is definitely something we'll be approaching yeah that is that's great. Wage mitigation is definitely a huge uh, area of concern right now, I think, um, in, in the world in general. Um, I think it's, it's something that we're going to see more and more of. And also, you know, some cities, larger cities are putting a hold on all um, rental evictions right now so that folks who cannot pay their rent cannot be evicted because then it just kind of Put this into a really 
um, hectic cycle. So what you're talking about, wage mitigation and these rental eviction holds are all speaking to the same thing of if we want people to stay home, then what do we need to provide in order to allow them to do that? So fantastic. So super forward thinking and I'm glad that we're, you brought it up in the discussion. Thanks for that. My name is Marianne Iyer. I'm the executive director of the PNG Alumni Foundation. Um, we have a mission of economically empowering uh, individuals in need across the globe where a PNG alum is actively and meaningfully involved with those organizations. So we're about um, helping um, uh, the disenfranchised get jobs, um, business skills training, um, entrepreneurship, microloans, et cetera. A couple of things that we're doing or exploring are leveraging our resources and trying to get those um, shared broadly to other um, organizations that we should support and also to our alums um, who are probably looking for guidance to help their organizations. Um, I believe the Chronicle of Philanthropy has made most of their material around this free so you don't have to have the premium subscription so you can just go online there. There's a lot of great articles out there right now. Um, in addition to what you guys are doing, I applaud Founded for doing this. Um, I also used to work for CCS Fundraising. They're an international um, nonprofit consulting firm, um, but they are actually hosting and will be posting on their website at ccsfundraising.com a webinar they're doing today. Um, so look later on, um, they'll be posting it, but it's about how to fundraise in this environment or some you know, tactical um, you know, tips and expertise. Um, and not only are we looking at these resources to help us guide through what we're doing, but we also wanna share this out broadly to, like I said, our alums and also our grant recipients. Um, one thing about Zoom, I actually, we are, because we're a global network of alums all over the world, we actually do most of our stuff already virtually um, I believe that the Zoom also lifted on their personal accounts. Um, so smaller organizations or smaller, you know, grant um, uh, grant recipients of smaller, they they lifted their um, restriction. I think the 40 minute limit for personal accounts. So even if folks can't get or don't have the the money or the funding for the um, the paid subscription. Um, right now, I think they're limiting or have loosened that restriction for personal accounts. Um, then I think you can get maybe up to three to 10 people on that. Don't quote me on that, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, a couple other things that we're doing is considering um, our fundraising strategies. Um, and one of the things that we're thinking about doing is more emphasizing participation. And also, I think, and this is just a hunch of mine, that the donor advice funds um, the donors have already made those contributions to those donor advice funds. And while I don't have the answers, um, I would look to, is there a way that people that have already given money to their donor advice funds can simply allocate those dollars? Because it's really not coming out of their pocket. That's already happened. And there might be some kind of strategy in loosening up those dollars that are sitting in those dollar donor advice funds. Um, you know, as a PNG alum, you know, you might imagine we work on our messaging. I think the, the key advice I would give myself and all of us are to be authentic, transparent, and then try to, 
you know, test it out from the perspective of who you're talking to. So put yourself in the position of the person that is receiving this. And I think as long as we say these are unprecedented times, we qualify some things and we're as transparent in what we know and what we don't know, I think that the, the messages that we convey, um, you know, will be received well. Um, I also, because we grant, we're grant making, but we also do fundraising. One of the things that is, is important that we're working on is the right um, equipment is what I'll call it to make sure that our fundraisers, our board members, anyone that is actually going to be doing fundraising on our behalf are equipped with, uh, you know, the right messaging and then how to handle a message um, of, you know, we, you know, a lot of it is the qualifying language. We know we don't know the certain circumstances. We're not 100% sure, um, you know, how you are, you know, what circumstances you are in, but we're asking on behalf of those served. So those are some of the things we're kind of wrestling around. And I would advise to you that I listened to something on TV the other day where they were talking about the millennials and that younger generation, you know, kind of being in this, um, this home, right, you know, mobilized or the, the limiting of social or the distancing, that that group knows how to mobilize. They know how to do virtual events. They know how to do engage each other online. Um, and it's, you know, if we don't have the answers or, you know, that's, we can get them, get some of these younger volunteers to do some things if you can and mobilize them um, with clear objectives. So those are just some of the things that we're wrestling with. And I reach out to all of you and just wish you all, um, you know, strength, patience. Um, it's, it's tough. Um, we're going to see things that, um, you know, just are probably a lot worse than we even think. And, you know, let's just, uh, you know, Stay strong and patient and understanding and do the best we can as we forge ahead in this 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 crazy time. Absolutely. I think that is the song that we've been singing here at Foundant is uh, let's be patient with each other and let's uh, have a lot of grace. And I think that that's also likewise what we are seeing uh, overwhelmingly from everyone that we work with uh, across um, the U.S. across Canada, we're seeing this really huge outpouring of um, understanding, and what a what a beautiful thing to see at a time that is fairly trying. Uh, I love the point that you made about uh, about millennials, and I think it's true for a lot of different things. Really capitalizing on what um, strengths people do have, and something that may not have been considered a strength. A month ago might be huge today so I love that you know we're you're having to think about things differently and really assessing those strengths a little bit differently as well also um, noting the intangibles that you have you have dollars to give out but what else do you have to give what knowledge do you have um, that would be helpful for your grantees what experiences do you have and not trying to push your way into those things but also just being aware that you are more than just dollars hello everybody i'm with the fowler foundation and we're in the dc metro area uh, we fund a range of program areas um, everything from food to housing to medical care seniors aging in place education job training and placement all designed to stabilize 
uh, low-income and underserved individuals and the elderly. We had our first quarterly board meeting last week, which we did via conference call for the first time ever. Um, and we typically only meet four times a year, so our next board meeting wouldn't be until June. Uh, so after our board meeting, I sent a message to the board members saying they wanted us to be prepared to handle emergency responses. And I have to say, my board took that idea and ran with it. Um, and they are making a million dollars available for emergency grant assistance for our grantees. Um, we're thinking about doing a fast track program where literally once a week, I would send out sort of a mini agenda of uh, the nonprofits that I've been talking to and um, the grants they need. And then literally my board could just email back or we could get on a conference call. They can say, yay, let's go for it. And then cut the checks. Um, we're also removing the requirement that grantees have to wait a year after receiving notification of a grant or declination before they can apply again. So if you just got a grant four months ago um, and you need emergency funding for food programs or medical clinics, you can apply again, and we're gonna get you that money within a week. Um, so those are some of the things we're looking at. Uh, also, we fund a lot of emergency financial services, uh, you know, small grassroots uh, local nonprofits that help with prescription costs, utilities, uh, rental assistance, you know, third-party payee, uh, direct one-time assistance. Uh, and I'm asking my board to consider that if we make larger grants to those type of organizations that we either, and normally we don't have any restrictions. Typically we are all general operating support unrestricted. But I am thinking that if we're doing uh, grants to those organizations that we could say this money is to provide assistance more than one time uh, because I think this is gonna last for a few months and there could be people out of work for three or four months. So one-time emergency assistance may not be sufficient. Um, so that either that money could increase the amount of assistance from the usual three to $500, make it more, uh, but also make it um, repetitive for the length of this crisis until people are back in their jobs and things like that. So those are some of the things we're looking at at the Fowler Foundation. That's fantastic. Um, the, uh, I love the, the speedy, um, kind of the sped up timeline for your grant requests and approvals. I think that's awesome. I don't know that I'm hearing that too much from other people. So I think that's really great to be hearing from you. And for now, you know, 300 of our, of our close personal friends here on this webinar, uh, all hearing that idea as well. So at kind of calling to your board to carve out more of their own time to allow you to work faster, fantastic. I'm from the Eau Claire Community Foundation in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, um, and I was asked to talk a little bit about what we're doing. Um, this whole thing happened in the middle of our competitive grant cycle, which is annual. We fund um, program and asset grants in a variety of categories, and the due date for the applications was January 15th, well before this whole thing hit, um, and our normal timeline is that the grants are repeated subcommittees, then the whole grants committee gets together in mid-April to make final funding recommendations and the grants are awarded in early June. Um, since we are still in the middle of that decision-making process, um, on last week on an emergency basis, our executive committee 
quoted to reserve part of our unrestricted funds, which are the bulk of the funding support for the competitive grant cycle, and then um, redirect that into an emergency fund. Um, and then we are looking at putting up an emergency grant cycle so that local nonprofits, especially the ones that provide basic services like food, shelter, healthcare, um, can apply for operations grants on an emergency basis. So we're still kind of in the works on that. Um, and we're kind of making things up that way as we go, basically. Yeah, I think we're all in the build the plane as you fly it mode right now, but that doesn't mean that it's not still really helpful because, uh, you know, you might have some wings on your plane and we'll, we're still working on that. So thank you so much for sharing. We're new users to Foundant and we just, last year we did our first grant cycle. So we're um, almost halfway through it and we just finished putting a report together um, as a follow-up form for the grantees to fill out. Um, we're going to do the, the training on how to do this via um, video conference. Um, myself and my coworker, okay. Julie, are going to do that. Um, we are trying to decide how to finish the rest of the, of the cycle. We, we pay them periodically. I think there's four cycles of payment. Um, and so because we're doing a lot of this is community work, um, dealing with so social isolation among seniors, which is probably going to get worse with this, mm -hmm. uh, and mental health issues, um, and some other issues, uh, chronic disease, um, and elderly folks, we, um, the programs that we use are in the community. Well, we can't be doing that. So we had to pull back on what they're allowed to do. United Way is one of our big funding partners in, in my area um, where we have grants in different areas. So they're a little bit different depending on where you are. We, we funded five different grants in five different regions. So in my area, um, United Way is the main partner and they've had to pull back on some of their operations. So we actually sent them um, some questions on how did they anticipate um, their reporting to change based on the um, requirements that they're supposed to meet. Um, and then <coughs> did they have any ideas for ways to where they've pulled back? Are there other op opportunities for them to um, provide other services or, or fill the gaps somewhere else? So we're kind of in a, this is our first grant that um, we've ever even given out. It was five point. $5.2 million grant in five different regions. My region got 1.2 million of that. So we are new at all of this. So this is, this is going to be a struggle for us in many, in many ways. Yeah. Just know that you are not alone out there. There are a lot of folks who um, just started grant making and now they find themselves in this situation, which is very unique and not something that anybody anticipated. Um, I'm going to speak from Foundit CSMs as, as you know, part of that group. You know, reach out to us. We want to help you. We want to share with you what we're learning from other people. Um, and we, we're working to provide some um, base forms and base processes for a lot of this type of grant making. But whenever you are thinking about doing a major change in the structure of your grant making, we're here to be a resource for you as your, a resource for you as your CSM. Um, 
things might get a little busy in the coming couple of days, in the coming week, but we will, um, we're, we're not going anywhere. Like I said at the beginning, you know, found it has gone to 100% work remote. For many of us, that's no change. We work remote anyway. Um, right. And it should not change what we are able to do with you all. So we're, we're happy to be here and, and to be a resource for you. With that, we are going to go ahead and wind down our time from our home offices and wherever we are all over the country. Um, we're just really happy to be able to to be here and uh, create this space for you. So you're going to hear more from us. Please use this, this as a resource. A this is a Thanks for joining us today. This is such a great a conversation, and we hope to just keep having more. So of that these. was our conversation. So bye from all of us. There were so many it. ideas and so many. <clears throat> So that was our conversation. There were so many ideas and so many new ideas because this is a new situation. We're going to keep bringing you conversations like this following the coffee talks that we host online. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Foundin Technologies. And we want to hear from you. Unlike a lot of podcasts out there, you can participate yourself by registering for one of our Coffee Talk webinars. You can register for a webinar or access additional resources by clicking on the links in the episode notes. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk 